Good morning. Good to have you all here this morning. You might not realize this is actually the fifth sermon in our series on the book of Matthew. And you might not realize that because we started it back in December. And the first chapter of Matthew where we saw that this king, Jesus, came and he came with the right lineage. He was a son of Abraham. So all the nations of the earth were going to be blessed in him. He was the son of David. So he was a rightful heir to the king. He had a, a human mother and a divine father. So he was God's son to rule over the earth. In chapter 2, we saw the Gentile wise men came to see Jesus and worship him. Again, Jesus was going to reign over the Gentiles as well as the Jews. Uh, we saw that he was perceived as a threat to Herod. So uh, the king over Judea at that time, heard about Jesus being born, and he saw him as a threat. We also saw that he had a very humble beginning. And so now we've heard a fair amount about the king, and this week we are going to talk a little bit about the kingdom. So we're talking about Kingdom 101, and 101, as you know, probably is, it's, that's like your basic level courses. It's your prerequisite, the thing you need to know, the thing you need to do before you get into the next course of study. And so we're going to see this morning that John the Baptist comes and he announces the prerequisite to the kingdom, and it's repentance. We're going to find out that, according to John, you can't go in embracing sin. So if you would stand with me this morning while we read from Matthew chapter 3, and I'm going to read the first 12 verses, where we'll be today. It says, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair, and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to the baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came. So I couldn't help but read those next three words. Then Jesus came. Let's just pray. Lord, I just pray that you would lead this morning as we consider your word, that we would understand 
what it's saying to us today, that we would be attentive. I pray that each individual in this room would know you as Savior. Just pray that your word would bear fruit in our lives, and I just give thanks for the opportunity to come before you and ask for your help. Thank you for those who are praying at this moment that your word would not return to you void. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you can have a seat. So verse 1 starts out, in those days. And if you look back, you see that it talks about the fact that Jesus and his parents moved to Nazareth. So in those days really covers a span of about 30 years because John the Baptist was about a year, a little less than a year older than Jesus. And Jesus lived in Nazareth till the time of his public ministry, which started when he was about 30. And so John would have been about that same age. And when Jesus was there, and they're waiting for his revelation to Israel, uh, John is coming out and preaching the preparation for the kingdom of heaven. So in verse 3, we see a prophecy from Isaiah that says, uh, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So this is the forerunner. This is the person rolling out, if you will, the red carpet for the king to come. This is the song, Hail to the Chief. The king is coming. Get ready. Pay attention. And, you know, in Luke 1, when John's birth was prophesied by an angel to John's father, he said this, the angel said this about John. He said in verse 16, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him, that is Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the King, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So he's going ahead and he's saying, get ready, and here's how to get ready. And he has really a very basic sermon here. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So there's kind of two parts to that. First of all, repent. And what does repent mean? Well, in its simplest terms, it just means to change your mind. But the problem is all of us are born in sin. And Jesus is a righteous, holy king. And he has righteous, holy rules. And so we need to turn around from that life of sin. And that's what repentance is. I'm just going to turn over to 2 Corinthians 7 a minute and just read a description we get later on in Paul's writings about repentance. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 10 says, Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. So repentance is not an end of itself. It's a preparation for an end. But you know, when we're walking in sin, we need to, number one, recognize that it's sin. And as we move on in uh, Matthew and we see Jesus preaching in his Sermon on the Mount, he kind of ratchets up the definitions of sin. He says, you might not have broken a contract, but if you didn't follow through on what you said you were going to do, it's the same thing. You might not be sleeping around with people, 
But if you're looking at someone with lust who you're not married to, it's adultery. He said, you might not have killed anybody, but if you have hate in your heart and you say angry words to somebody, you're guilty of murder. He, he ratcheted up our understanding of sin to work this repentance so that we realize I'm not part of the kingdom of heaven because I'm, I'm living under a different set of laws. And we'll talk a little bit about the kingdom of heaven too. But I don't want us to mistake repentance with righteousness because we can recognize that we're sinning. We can be sorrowful about that and we can turn away from that and we can still lack the power to walk away from it. Because as John said, this is step one. And Jesus has more to come. And that's why I wanted to read those words, then came Jesus, because we have more to preach this morning than what John had to preach. We have deliverance from the power of sin to talk about this morning. So what we're talking about with repentance is not to say, well, now I used to be a sinner, but now I've decided I'm not a sinner anymore. And I'm going to live a holy, perfect life because we can't do that in our own strength. So when I say you have to repent to come into the kingdom of heaven, that you can't go in embracing sin, I don't mean that you have to clean yourself up first before you come to Jesus. But Jesus is not in alignment with sin. We're going to have to look a different direction to go to Jesus. So repentance to change one's mind or purpose. And so the other half of his sermon is, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So what's this kingdom? It's going to be coming up a lot in the book of Matthew, and this is the first time. So I thought maybe we should uh, spend a couple minutes talking about this kingdom, if you'll bear with me. But a kingdom has to have a king. So that's, that's one thing. You can't have a kingdom without a king. I heard Friday somebody reminding the American people and the Congress and the Senate and the president that the president is not a king. And he's not. He doesn't have sovereign authority. But Jesus is king. He has sovereign authority. And so we need to acknowledge that to enter into the kingdom of heaven. So we have a king. And we have to have subjects to have a kingdom. You could have a king with no subjects. Nobody that has subjected themselves to his rule. And you wouldn't really have a kingdom, would you? So Jesus calls for subjects. And we'll see that here shortly. And then there's a place. A kingdom takes place somewhere. And this uh, definition here at the bottom I thought was helpful. This is John MacArthur's definition of the kingdom of heaven. He said it's the rule of God over the hearts of men and over the world. John is preparing hearts. He's not building up weaponry. He's not amassing allies. He's not amassing soldiers. He's preparing hearts because this kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of our hearts. It's God. It's Jesus ruling over my heart. And that's where the kingdom of heaven is. And that's who the subjects are. So I want to turn to Matthew 28. Go to the very end of this uh, book of Matthew. And I want to just take a look at verses 18 through 20. So it says, Jesus came and said to them, and this is after Jesus has died, 
and he's risen from the dead. And he says to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Notice the alls. Jesus has all authority, and it was given to him. He didn't just grasp after it and take it, but his Father, God, gave it to him. And he has all authority over all things. That's a definition of a king, all authority. And it says, make disciples of all nations. So Jesus' kingdom is not limited to Israel. It's not limited to the United States. It's all nations. And so his disciples were to go gather up these subjects for his kingdom and teach them in verse 20 to observe all that I have commanded you. So Jesus is saying, I have all this authority and it's your job. I'm giving you this job to go touch the hearts of men with my word and inform them that I have authority over all things and that they are to obey all that I have commanded them. So there you have the king, the sovereign. You have his subjects, those that are willing to obey all that he's commanded. And then you have the place or the kingdom, which is in all the world. So I want to talk a little bit more, too, about the kingdom of God, because, again, it's a, it's a big subject in the book of Matthew. Again, I'm going to borrow from John MacArthur. He talks about five phases of the kingdom of God. That's kind of a, a busy picture right now, but <laughs> he talks about how there's five phases. It's one kingdom, but it comes in five phases. And so, first of all, there's this prophesied phase. And Daniel prophesied when he was interpreting a dream. He says in chapter 2, verse 44, In the days of those kings, the God of heaven, so we've been hearing about the kingdom of heaven, will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. So the kingdom of God is the kingdom to end all kingdoms. And it was prophesied all the way back in the days of Daniel and other places throughout the Old Testament. It was a prophesied kingdom, but it wasn't visible yet. And now here in, in Matthew chapter 3, John is talking about the kingdom and he's saying it's at hand. Jesus later in the book says the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is at hand. He sends his disciples out to tell everybody the kingdom of God is at hand. So this was prophesied, and now we're coming to the point in Matthew where the word is coming out, this is about to happen. Okay, so then next is the interim kingdom, as John MacArthur describes it, he, or labeled it, he called it the interim kingdom, and that's a kingdom as we had earlier over the, the hearts of men. So in the end of John, when Jesus is speaking to uh, Pilate, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, my disciples would fight. They'd bring up their swords, they would fight. But it's not of this world. And then uh, I'm going to turn and read Romans 14, 7 to you. You don't need to turn there, but I'll, I want to read it to, to get it straight. 
it says, um, nope, I think I got the wrong one. 1417, sorry. Paul says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but, so listen to this, this is what the kingdom of God is about. Righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So the kingdom is not a castle. It's not a set of um, boundaries. It's not a government of man. It's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit in our hearts. That's where the kingdom of God is in this interim time. There is a future time when the kingdom will be a manifest kingdom. And the Revelation chapter 20 talks about that when Satan himself will be taken and he'll be bound up and he'll be put in hell for a period of a thousand years. And Jesus will reign on the earth with his saints. And everybody will see that righteousness is being executed on the earth. And for a thousand years, judgment against sin will be executed every day, justly, righteously, um, no trial needed because the king knows exactly what has happened. And so that will be a manifest kingdom. At the end of that kingdom, then Satan is going to be released, we read in Revelation, and he's going to deceive many people who are going to rise up against that king because they ne their hearts were not in it. It was still kind of a kingdom of the heart, but there will be those whose hearts were not in it. And they will fight against Jesus as a king, and he will destroy them. It's not going to be a long, bloody battle. It's just going to be a bloody battle. And death and Satan and hell are going to be cast. The grave are going to be cast into hell. And then there's going to be this everlasting kingdom that Peter talks about and we read about in 1 Corinthians 15 and other places as well. We'll get into that later in Matthew, no doubt. But there's going to be an everlasting phase of this kingdom. So we're right there. And I think probably toward the end of that interim phase, waiting for Jesus to come, waiting for judgment to fall on this earth, and for Jesus to set up that visible kingdom on earth. So that's kind of a, you know, the kingdom is a, a huge subject. You could spend years studying it in the Word of God, but that's a, a brief summary of the kingdom. So repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so now, John, as we said, he was prepared to be the one to prepare the way for Jesus' coming. So there were two receptions to this call. John puts out the call, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And there's some, it says, Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about Jordan were going out to him, in verse 5, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan. All of these people, they heard the message, they responded, they understood, they accepted, he's saying we need to repent to receive this kingdom. You can't go in embracing sin, so we're going to do it. And they went and they confessed their sins. And it's interesting that it says sins, plural. They didn't just go and say, yes, I'm a sinner, I admit it. But they confessed 
their sins, their deeds of disobedience to God. And they were baptized. And baptism, as far as I know, we don't really know exactly where this came from, but the Jews did have a practice when Jesus came of baptizing Gentiles who converted to Judaism. They baptized them to say publicly, okay, you were something else, but now you're a Jew. You're a follower of Jehovah, and you're waiting for the Messiah. And so they had this practice of baptism, and perhaps John uh, was instructed of the Holy Spirit to adopt that practice, putting people into the water. We saw that last week, right? Under the water, up, you are identified with something you weren't identified with before. And in this case, they were baptized to repentance. And we'll talk a little bit more about baptism in a minute, but these people responded right away to the word that John was preaching that they needed to repent, turn from their sins, and be baptized, and they did, and they were waiting for the kingdom of heaven. But there were others that came, and they got a different, well, they got the same sermon, but it was worded a little differently. In verse 7, it says, many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism. When he saw them coming to his baptism, he said, so these are the good people. These are the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were the religious scholars. They are the ones that you would find in the synagogue every day, every week. You would see them going around giving people money, poor people money. You'd see them praying publicly. You would see them fasting, seeming to seek the face of God. And so here they were coming out to see what's going on. Because John's out here in the wilderness. He's, he's not coming into the religious center. He's not coming into town. He's out in the wilderness. He's not even dressed that great. What do we read? Garment of camel's hair and a leather belt. And eating locusts and wild honey. Quite a curiosity, right? I mean, if we heard about that, we would think that sounds a little crazy. So they went out to see what was going on. Well, they needed the same message that the other people heard. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But John delivered it a little differently, didn't he? You brood of vipers. Vipers, poisonous snakes. <laughs> Not real friendly greeting as they walked out to see what John's about here. But he says, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Well, they, they did not believe, really, that they needed to flee from the wrath to come because they felt they were on the right side, right? They're looking for the Messiah. They know the prophecies about him. They, they could probably quote a lot of scriptures. They probably had them attached to their body so that they could memorize them and read them. They didn't feel the need for repentance, but John ratchets up his conviction to them and he says don't say we have Abraham as our father he knew what they were thinking they were thinking well we are children of Israel Abraham is our father God promised blessing through Abraham we are descendants of Abraham we are in this place of blessing and John says no that's not gonna get you in and you do have sin and you can't go in embracing sin and so he he says bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, your life should show that you are filled with remorse, that you recognize that you're a sinner, that, you've brought, that that brings sorrow into your heart to know that you're a sinner 
and that you want to turn away from that and you want deliverance from sin. But they hadn't gotten to the first base of recognizing I am a sinner. I have sinned. I do have things that I need to confess in order to enter in to the kingdom of heaven. So John goes on. He says, God is able from these stones to raise up for himself children of Abraham. And he did. Peter says, you're like living stones built up into the church of God because we were Gentiles. We couldn't say, my father, his father, his father, his father. If I go back far enough, I can show you that Abraham is my father. He couldn't, we couldn't, couldn't say that. But God has raised us up and he says we are children of Abraham because Abraham is called the father of all who have faith. This morning, if you have faith, If you've put your trust in Jesus, you've acknowledged that you need a Savior from your sins, and you've turned to Jesus, as we'll see later, Paul preached repentance for sins and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're there, you have faith, and you're a child of Abraham. And God has raised up from unworthy people like me, sons of Abraham. But these Pharisees, they were confident because of their DNA, that they were good. And we can, uh, we can have a similar confidence because we're sitting in church, right? And so maybe some of us were raised in Christian homes. I was raised by a Christian father, a Christian mother. They taught me the word of God from the time I was little. And I, I didn't really have much of a rebellious streak outwardly. People thought I was okay. But I had to come to the place, and it's been a place that I've been growing in to understand, yeah, brood of vipers. Warn me to flee from the wrath to come. Repent. Put your faith in Jesus Christ for the payment of your sins. See, we can be those religious people like the Pharisees because we go to church. Maybe we're involved in ministries. Maybe we've served Many people, you know, uh, Jesus in chapter 7, he's going to tell us about people that come to the door of heaven, as it were, and say, Lord, let us in. We've done great works in your name. Let us in. And Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. I never knew you. And this is what John is trying to warn these Pharisees and Sadducees. You don't know God. You're not going to recognize the king. He's about to come out. You're not going to recognize him because you think you're in pretty good shape and you think you are the kingdom of God, but you're not. You're still in your sin and you have no sense that you need to be elsewhere. It doesn't say that these Pharisees and Sadducees were baptized, but I do want to take just a few minutes to talk about baptism because we have three baptisms talked about here in this passage, and then there is also a fourth one that we will talk about. And uh, I hope that you can kind of see this here. (laughs) There's four baptisms. Like I said, three of them are talked about here. One is John's baptism. And John's baptism is a baptism that says, I'm a sinner, and I have repented, and I'm standing ready for the kingdom of heaven to receive the king. So when people confessed their sins, they repented. John baptized them in the river Jordan. 
And they were there as sin-confessing, repentant sinners. They weren't saved because they were still waiting for the king to come save them. Okay, and so we don't practice the baptism of John now because we've got a better baptism that encompasses repentance, death to the flesh, and resurrection with Jesus. And that is one of the three that's not referenced in this passage. But then, as a repentant sinner who puts his faith in Jesus Christ, he receives the Spirit of God. And we have in uh, Ephesians 1, 13, it says, In Christ you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So through faith in Jesus Christ, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, In one spirit we were all baptized into one body. So through faith in Jesus Christ, receiving of the Spirit, God brings us into the body of Christ. We're part of his church because of faith. And so as a believer in Jesus, we're a member of the body of Christ, the church of God, the church of Christ. Then there's the third baptism that, we're, that I have on this slide, baptism to Jesus, to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I'm just going to turn it over to Acts 21. We, I referenced it earlier, but I want to read it. Uh, Paul says that he testified both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's, that's not the one I wanted to read, actually. <laughs> Acts 19. And the first few verses of that chapter, he says, he's speaking to those at Corinth, and he says in verse 2, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. So, see, they had repented and they were waiting for the rest of the gospel. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one that was the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. So John was saying, Believe in the one that's about to come. Well, Paul is saying, that one already came. That's Jesus. And he says, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So we are in a, in a much more blessed place, aren't we, today than these people who confessed their sins and were baptized to John's baptism of repentance because we know how that deliverance from sin is going to happen. We felt our sins. We wanted to turn from them. We turned around. We turned to Jesus, the one who can deliver us from those sins because we can't go in embracing sin. We can't go into the kingdom of God if we are embracing our sin. So repentance is and always will be that first step. So there we have John's baptism, which was a baptism to repentance and put somebody publicly on the ground of a repentance center. We have the baptism of the Spirit, which forms us into part of the body of Christ, part of the church, occupied by the Holy Spirit of God to give us power over sin. We have gifts of the Spirit to contribute in the church as part of the one body. And then when that faith 
is professed publicly, we go into a public baptism of water again. And we, in that statement, as we heard last week, we identify ourselves with the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And then we are a publicly identified disciple of Jesus. So this is where the kingdom of heaven is. It's in the people who are obeying Jesus. A disciple is a follower, an adherent, somebody who believes their leader and follows their leader. And in baptism, we're saying, I want everybody to know that this is who I am, a disciple of Jesus. Well, there is a fourth baptism, and John talks about it here. He says in verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And I want to stop right there a minute because John is publicly saying, I'm not the one that's going to give you power. I'm not the one who's going to save you. I'm just trying to prepare you to hear from the one who's going to save you. And he's coming after me. He's mightier than I am. I can baptize you with water saying, yes, you repented of your sins, but there you are, sorry and sad and wanting to turn away from your sins, but you still have this burden of sin behind you. Jesus can baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He can give you power. You can have the life of God inside you that's capable of pleasing God. And not only that, but he will cleanse you from your sins by bearing the punishment of the sins in his own body on the cross. And John probably didn't know all of that. He just knew one mightier than him was coming who could bring a baptism that was much greater. But then he goes on and he says, and fire. So Jesus doesn't just baptize with the Holy Spirit. Jesus baptizes with fire and he goes on to describe that. He says his winnowing fork is in his hand. That's the fork that is used to beat the wheat and the chaff falls off and the wheat separates out from the chaff. And then he gathers in the wheat into his barn, but then he takes the chaff. What's he do with the chaff? He will burn it with unquenchable fire. So this is the second time that uh, John has talked to them about this. He says in verse uh, 10, Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And then here he talks about how the chaff will be burned and thrown into the fire. So Jesus will baptize with a fire of judgment against unrepentant sinners. So this morning, as I think about who these unrepentant sinners were, what they look like, good people, you'd want them for your neighbors. Jesus said, do what they teach you to do because they're teaching you to do the right thing. But don't act like they act. These were people in today's culture that would have come to church. They would have been involved in ministry. They would be serving the poor, the homeless, but they would not know Jesus. They would never have come to the place in their heart where they said, I'm a sinner. I've disobeyed God. The good things that I'm doing are not that good. They're not good enough for God. They fall short of his standard. Perhaps they're even being done to glorify myself. And so 
this morning, it kind of makes me sad. It makes me scared. I don't really like to talk about Hellfire. But it's possible that somebody this morning is sitting here attentive, learning, able to tell me even the things that I've told you, and perhaps you've never repented of your sins. The axe will be laid to the root of the tree like that. That's considered chaff. Jesus will cast it into the lake of fire. There's going to be people that go into the lake of fire just having talked to Jesus and said, Lord, look at everything we did for you in our life. And he's going to say, I never knew you. Because their hearts were not prepared to receive the king. And when it comes to the kingdom of heaven, you can't go in embracing sin. So this morning, we're going to take communion. We'll give thanks for the cup. The band will come up and for the bread. And we're going to remember that we have much more than the gospel that John had to preach, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We have the king who died for our sins. We have the Holy Spirit of God because Jesus died for our sins. And so as we take this bread, we'll remember the body of Jesus given for us. As we take the cup, we'll remember his blood shed for us that has atoned for our sins, for those who've put their faith in them in him. And if you haven't recognized that you're a sinner, if you've never considered the fact that you do need Jesus to atone for your sins this morning, you can do that in your seat. You don't have to come to any human and, and confess your sin. You can confess it in your heart to God, and you can turn to Jesus and accept the payment that he's made for our sin, that we see as a way of reminder in the bread and the cup. And you can have salvation today. You can enter into the kingdom of heaven, receive the Holy Spirit, and then partake with us in remembrance of his death for us. Let's just give thanks. Lord Jesus, thank you for your body given for us. Thank you for your blood shed for our sins. Thank you for the message of John the Baptist to prepare our hearts to turn from sin. Thank you that we know the gospel that you taught and that you revealed through your apostles repentance for sin and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. I just pray that if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, who's never repented of their sins, that this morning would be the day that they do that, that they wouldn't stand in danger of the baptism by fire. Thank you, Lord Jesus, and we uh, commit this day to you and commit your word to you for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.